we're back. I'm Gervier Bra. I'm here with Jamal Sandu, and we are Screen Off Script. This week, we're getting into Empire of Light and reflecting on all the major movie and TV news of the week. Look around you. This whole place is for people who want to escape. The world is changing. Wow. It really was beautiful. It still is. You can't just give up. Don't let them tell you what you can or can't do. Here's to the future. Here's to getting back up. Happy New Year! And here's to coming home. In our first segment, we're going to be talking about all the major movie and TV news of the week. We're also going to be giving our spoiler-filled Empire of Light review. And uh, we got timestamps in the description. So, gentlemen, first thing, we're talking about the news for this week. Black Adam is projected to lose 50 to $100 million in its theatrical run. Mm. Insiders say the film needs to make closer to $600 million to break even. Warner Bros. claims $400 million is needed to break even. The production budget was $195 million. All these numbers are kind of being thrown around. The gist is basically that Black Adam seems like it's a little bit of a flop. Yeah. I, I kind of want to just get your take on that. Yeah, normally, the general rule of thumb is whatever the production budget is, so say if a movie costs $100 million, you've got to double it. Yeah. Because then another $100 million is usually spent on the marketing of it, mm-hmm. right? And you saw The Rock went buck wild yeah. with the marketing. He did a multi-city tour. It's like you knew that the movie was coming out that weekend. Yeah. But ultimately, the the long-term success of a movie is if it's actually a good movie, right? And it's aight. It's, it's mid aight. at best, yeah. you know? And, so, and the thing is, because people already have this kind of... Um, not so great opinion of the dceu it's kind of hard to kind of generate enthusiasm and to you know really kind of like oh i have to go watch it this week it's going to be very interesting to see how this maybe you know domino affects things moving forward because i feel like every time we talk about dc more often than not it's always bad news it's always oh this hasn't worked out that hasn't worked out oh this director's fallen out that movie didn't perform or it's been critically you know panned it's just a consistent it's one thing or another with the dc when was the last time we ever spoke about an mcu movie and we're like oh that bombed at the box office Uh, hold on you know what i actually was just having a thought about this so this is my it's never i'm never gonna say marvel movies are gonna bomb at the box Mm. that's never gonna happen Mm -hmm. but the interesting thing that i feel like I feel like this year was kind of an interesting tr- like beginning of a transition year for mm-hmm. DC. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the big news is that James Gunn is the new head honcho over at DC. Yeah. But at the same time, even just based on what we have been offered, think about like Peacemaker being, for me, the best comic book series of the year. For me, like by a mile, the best comic book show of the year. Mm-hmm. On top of that, Batman might be the strongest like straight up comic book movie for the entire year as well. The only contender I really feel like exists on the other side for Marvel is uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. But at the same time, that's like kind of a... It's it's pulling on strings from like a very different place, like a very real place. As a comic book movie, Mm -hmm. I still kind of lean towards Batman a little bit. I kind of like... As much as I shit on DC for this year, at the same time, like a few episodes ago, I remember you talking about how like Love and Thunder was a bit of an egg. And I feel like both of us have said Doctor Strange was good, but not great. Mm -hmm. And uh, like as much as the DC movies haven't been amazing, I feel like this year might be the most even year I've felt in a very long time. In the microcosm of just 2022. That's it. Yeah. If you're just talking about this year, that's it. You you make some valid points there thing with batman is it's not part of the dceu it's its own thing it's mm-hmm. its own property That's a good right point. and the thing is if you want to just break that apart batman movies generally are great they are great they're actually they critically well you know received commercially they perform really really well it's almost like 
the Batman IP generally has been fantastic for Warner Brothers. It's just incorporating Batman into the DCU and doing other things just hasn't really worked for them, right? Mm-hmm. Now, introducing Black Adam, again, it's a lesser-known character in the DCEU. You've got The Rock, where I think his reputation at this point is, okay, he is basically just going to do the same thing in every single movie. Yeah. It's a rock action movie, but it's 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 very kind of popcorn and just it's like fast and the furious yeah, yeah. you know what you're gonna get and it's hard to really be that emotionally invested in who lives and who dies you're waiting for the one-liners and you know it's almost like checking boxes of a stereotypical rock action movie yeah and he's just basically brought that into the dceu yes that's it it's very true you it's know? very true but like at the same time i feel like black adam is almost like uh it exists as still like the old establishment of DC. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I don't feel like James Gunn would be like, yeah, that's the movie I would approve. I agree. Putting out. You know what I mean? I don't know if it's indicative of the future of DC, but it definitely is indicative of the past. And, and that's all we can talk about, this, right? This is the hangover movie of DC. And I, I hope that's true. Like obviously there are quite a few movies that are still like in the pipeline already, like uh, the flash and uh, Aquaman and all that kind of stuff yeah. that are coming out next year that we know already are like way further in development the best both critically and commercial of uh, successful comic book movies period over the last couple of years you could make an, a case for dc with the batman and with the joker yeah which, which these are just you know character movies nothing to do with the dceu which is yeah. kind of bizarre but you think i think it. i think it's not even bizarre it just kind of shows you what should be happening mm. right like the most interesting thing about dc has been when you just leave people alone yeah you know what i mean let them just figure themselves out it's almost like do the opposite of marvel marvel yeah. built their whole business case of all right cool we're going to introduce all these characters in this you know, separate movies then we're going to bring them together into this event movie this crossover movie the avengers yeah. and that's how we kind of flesh out the overall mcu it's almost like wouldn't it be the worst case situation in the world where dc were like you know what we're just going to make batman movies we're just going to make flash movies we're just going to make superman movies yeah yeah, I'm okay with that. I'm cool. I'm okay with the idea of keeping these universes apart. But like, I know obviously that's not what they're going to do. James Gunn has already mentioned that he plans on making like the DCU like a thing. Yeah. Right. So I'm curious to see how he does it, especially like coming off like he's going to have the good faith of not only doing that, but at the same time putting out his last Guardians movie. Next year is going to be a very interesting year for not only DC, but James Gunn in general. If nothing else, James Gunn is in a situation where it's like he almost can't fail. He can't fail. It's like the the level of expectation in terms of what a, how how good quality a DCEU movie is. Number one, now with how Black Adam performed at the box office, how commercially successful it is, is already so low that James Gunn comes in with even if it was like a a, a, a below par James Gunn movie, it's going to be infinitely better than what we've been served up so far from yeah. DCEU. I still am. Um, optimistic Me i'll too. be honest like despite the fact that black adams is whatever i i am optimistic about the, the future of dc going forward do you think this has any impact in the rock returning as mm-hmm. i think superman obviously because yeah. that's what they kind of teased uh-huh. that i still think would make massive amounts of money and i think that is like what he should have been doing in the first place this character is not a hero but at the same time like he never felt like a big deal like even going into this movie like you know how like the rock knows how to sell like the buildup of something. Yeah. There never felt like a real buildup of Black Adam. It just felt like we're watching a rock movie. Yeah. And if that's enough, then like you shouldn't be spending $600 million on it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't seem like enough to justify 
that much of a price tag uh, associated with that. How does that make you feel? What do you think? Well, the Rock. It doesn't are- matter how it makes you feel. <laughs> Next thing I got is uh, some interesting news about The Mandalorian. Pedro Pascal was at like an expo and uh, basically said there's so much that you're going to see. We were all able to keep baby Grogu a secret. We were all able to keep Luke Skywalker's return to the world a secret. There are more secrets to keep. I don't know what they can do to top those two. What more could you possibly do than top a baby Yoda, which was incredible, and then a Luke Skywalker return? Darth Maul? Darth Maul would be pretty badass. I mean, if we're gonna if you just had to top your head right now, just throw something out there, like I just did, Darth Maul, what would it be? Without thinking too deep about it. Just like bang, Darth Maul. I think it is I think it is Darth Maul, right? I think Darth Maul has to be it. Because like what else could it possibly be? Like actually I don't know. I, like in my head the dumbest thing I could think of was like a Jar Jar Binks redo mm. or something like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like what else could you possibly do that could like serve hardcore fans in like a really interesting way do they do they maybe can't they can't use vader because this is post vader dying you can't use vader you can't use leia you can't use luke anymore the dh harrison ford for the new indiana jones movie do they bring back harrison ford in a cameo as as han solo with chewbacca i don't think you have to dh him right because he would be i mean i technically you still would have to dh him a little a bit. little bit if you want because like luke's still in his prime but like a part of me thinks that it's not going to be Something like that. Right. It's going to be like a hardcore fan thing, like something from Cold That's Wars. That's why I kind of just leaned you know right I mean? towards Darth Maul there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I feel like. Because like, otherwise, like if it's going to be like a, the Mandalorian war, yeah. like, who else kind of fits there? And it's only Darth Maul. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He's the only guy that kind of fits. So th- that makes a lot of sense. I, ho- I I think that would be like a really fun story too. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. Darth Maul has always been like a really underserved character. Mm-hmm. At last we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi. At last we will have revenge. You have been well trained, my young apprentice. They will be no match for you. Next, I got Ang Lee. He is set to direct a Bruce Lee biopic. I missed this completely. So he's gonna he's set to uh, direct this Bruce Lee biopic for Sony. His son Mason Lee apparently will star as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, first off, did you hear about this? Because I feel like I it did. flew completely under the radar. For I me. did see. I did. I did see this. Yeah. Yeah. So, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, Ang Lee's a fantastic filmmaker. Number one. I don't feel like he's made a movie in a minute. I feel like enough time has passed where you know his life. Bruce Lee's life hasn't really been kind of celebrated on the big screen uh, and yeah why not I'm, I'm, I'm into it why not mm-hmm. let's see if they give it like because since like the last kind of 10-15 years there's been so like you know you look at Once Upon a Time in Hollywood there's been so many kind of takes in terms of like who Bruce Lee was in real life was he a real martial artist could he really do the things he was portraying on screen is this going to be just an homage you know I, I don't know how to deal with that right now mm-hmm. I feel like public perception of Bruce Lee has definitely changed and tweaked a little bit in the last like five six years it's gonna be interesting to see how it is especially yeah like you mentioned because of once in my time hollywood you're the one with the big mouth and i would really enjoy closing it especially in front of all my friends but my hands are registered as lethal weapons that means we get into a fight i accidentally kill you i go to jail anybody accidentally kills anybody in a fight they go to jail it's called manslaughter and I think all that lethal weapon horse shit is just an excuse so you dancers never have to get in a real fight. Last story I got is James Cameron. He claims, I feel like this is a conversation we've had several times, right? He says that claiming that Avatar has no cultural impact is irrelevant. 
Uh, he says, if people are less likely to remember Jake Sully than Luke Skywalker, that's partly because Avatar has only one movie. But Marvel has maybe 26 movies to build out a universe. We'll see what happens after this film. I feel like he's making all these bold declarations real early, right before this movie comes out. Which I, I, which I continuously love. Yeah. I, I love that he's poking the bear. I do and like I, it, and, yeah. and I love that everyone is getting up in arms. I've seen so many things on social media where people are just like, you know, uh, either like, you know, rooting against him or rooting for him. Here's the thing with this tape in particular. When Star Wars came out in 1977, there was no history of Luke Skywalker. That movie comes out, Luke Skywalker, the character, is iconic instantly. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to do a direct comparison, like, there is no comparison, right? Like, yeah. that, the argument fails. I understand what he's saying with regards to the MCU, because the MCU's IP is comic books and TV shows and series and, you know, years and years and years of these characters already being kind of baked into the, the, the public zeitgeist, right? But also... Who cares if Jake Sully isn't culturally relevant? I don't care. Again, what we've been talking about for weeks now, we just hope it's a good goddamn movie, right? That's all I care about. I think the only thing is, like, if it is a good goddamn movie, especially if it's a franchise that kind of extends itself, like, a decade apart, it almost has to start being a part of, like, that pop culture conversation. And maybe it will be. Yeah, I I think it will, right? right? I I mean, I'm sure it will. Like, Like, this movie is, like... It's so hard for, like, again, Star Wars you know episodes you know three four and five came out three years apart mm-hmm. this movie the first avatar movie comes out we're getting a sequel 12 years later yeah right so to remember a character and to continue on that journey with a bunch of characters in a movie you know where the sequel doesn't come out until 12 years later it's pretty hard right I think it's gonna be interesting because on one side you almost have to hope that this that it does translate in that way because you know, you're hoping for a part two to five to come out. And sure. he, he's even mentioned a six and seven as well already now. So it's like, uh, if you, if you want this stuff to land and you want to be able to execute these ideas, it has to happen. Yeah. But as far as just putting out good movies goes, you're right. Like it just has to be as good as it can possibly be. If it's a fantastic movie, I'm happy regardless. Yeah. Right. Like just as a movie fan, I just want to see the best movie I can possibly see. But yeah, that's everything for uh, this week as far as news goes. Let's get into our movie for the week, Empire of Light. Why not? Because it's pointless. They turned me down the first time. To study what? Architecture. Oh, that would be wonderful. Yeah. Do you have to try again? Yeah, maybe. But you can't just give up. Stephen. Don't let them tell you what you can or can't do. No one's going to give you the life you want. You have to go out and get it. Chama, this is one of the movies that we got to see at TIFF. Mm. And when I think of a movie that's going to for sure be nominated for an Oscar, at the very least nominated, this is my lock. Yeah, absolutely. Again, like you said, we were so lucky to watch so many incredible movies at the Toronto International Film Festival this year. I don't know what my expectations were, if I'm being honest with you. It was kind of like Sam Mendes's, you know, COVID movie. That's it, right? right? For me, it was just, all right, this is a Sam Mendes movie. That's what yeah. I had walking into it as well. Yeah, exactly. But um, was just kind of like blown away with the experience. And I obviously can't wait to kind of go into the nitty gritty and review it. But um, yeah, I mean, not just for best film, but I feel like director, act, there's going to be some like, you know, acting nominations included i think cinematography is it's gonna get nominations across the board this is one of those oscar like it's not even like oscar bait in in a way like there are movies that exist that are oscar bait this is a movie that feels like it's made and it's like oh yeah yeah, that's gonna win 
or not even win. It's gonna be nominated for everything. Yeah. Right. Like for like just like you mentioned, for sure. I do think for sure it's gonna be nominated for best picture. I feel like that's gonna happen for sure. Mm. And I, I will say, I think it's one of the most beautiful looking movies maybe I've ever seen. Right. When you talk about cinematography, yeah. like just a stunning movie and a movie for people who love movies. That's the biggest takeaway I have. Number one. But also the people who love the idea of movies, like what movies kind of represent and what they present for like society. You know what I mean? Like they give people the break, the time away from like actual life and get to just like delve themselves into like this like alternate reality for a couple of hours. Yeah. Also, it's um, the time period that it's set in like 80s London. No, not not even 80s London, but 80s kind of UK in general Mm -hmm. is... um, it's not as glamorous as people may think it was back in the day. It's actually pretty dark and gloomy and yeah. that's reflected in terms of, you know, the things that go on in this movie and what people are dealing with. Yeah. It was different time and it's a it's a, a period in a time and a location that you don't see too often in movies. Can you kind of elaborate that from like a UK perspective? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I just remember like, again, I'm an 80s, 80s baby, right? So I didn't really kind of become more self-aware until the 90s. But the kind of the vague memories that I have of like, you know, growing up at that period, and it's more kind of like just visuals, right? Mm-hmm. Of like where you were and everything from like the colors that were used and the mood. And yeah. It was during Margaret Thatcher's reign as prime minister. And it was just a very... You know, racism was strife. Yeah. You know, again, a very different time period, right? And yeah, it's very reflective in this movie. I mean, I feel like in terms of the aesthetic of the UK and the aesthetic of the 80s is very much on point. And again, Sam Mendes grew up in the UK. So if anyone can you know nail that, it's definitely going to be him. It's funny because when you talk about the aesthetic of like what I think of the UK in that time period, I do think of like dull colors, yeah, a kind of like a, a worn down kind of feeling, mm-hmm. right? And that's kind of what I feel like was really presented really well in this movie, yeah. Because on one side, it is like you know a love letter to film; it's a love letter to the idea of the theater in general. But it's also kind of what we talked about a few months ago, and it's like um, it's like that thing of like it's like filmmakers at the time where like when we're talking about the pandemic like they're sitting there and they had like question Mm. whether like this vehicle of their art was still going to exist right like if they were going to still be able to present the movies they wanted to make in movie theaters yeah and it felt like this movie was a lot of like just questioning that and wondering are we going to be able even able to do this again yeah because it was a lot of like questions during the like it feels like it's different now because you know obviously people are still making so much money off these movies but there was a period in time when people thought like are other are movie theaters going to be gone now right like that, for a brief second like there was a thought for that and i feel like this kind this movie kind of encapsulates that really really well and the idea of like like film as like they they know it could be taken away from them as uh because of business right mm. it's it's tragic it's it's beautiful in a way like as it's presented in this movie but it's still like like you mentioned like you get to that point where there's there's a lot of things that kind of go into this movie it's a love of film like, the, like you mentioned, the the racial undertones of it, or overtones, really. And also, just, it feels like the idea of something getting left behind, mm. right? That's the kind of the feeling I got, not only with the characters, but 
the theatre as well. Right? And, and there is some of that in terms of what we have left behind during this period is the idea of the boutique cinema. Yeah. Right now, and, you know, a little time after, like, you know, it was really in the 90s where the franchise cineplexes start to flex mm-hmm. and they start to spread up and down, not just the UK, but around the world, especially here in North America as well, right? And to kind of go back to a time where it was just a standalone, independently owned cinema um, that was kind of really dependent on the local community showing up to kind of keep the wheels turning and keep, um, you know, the the whole thing operating. It's kind of fascinating because now, if you think about how are these cinemas and their businesses run, it's like you could potentially have an underperforming season mm-hmm. you know, in a particular theatre for whatever reason. But, you know, the, the balance is going to be, you know, sorted out with the other 50 across the country in more hot markets and better locations, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that just doesn't really exist. You can find the odd boutiques in a month you know here and there mostly in the kind of the major cities around the world and they offer something unique like for example it could be the seating or it could be a sing-along or maybe they're just throwing on uh throwback movies i've been to cinemas like that in london and it's a fun time but uh the idea of kind of going to watch a movie in you know this day and age and it's kind of like the the, the cashier that you see all the time or the cinema owner that you see all the time it's just a different world that we live in now and to kind of kind of go back in time and see you know you know film fans kind of go to their local community theater even to the point where at the end of the movie you have local dignitaries and mps and the mayor and you know the members of the royal family all showing up because it's kind of beside the sea and it's beside the beach and it's just it's just fascinating like that right yeah and it's funny because we talked about this in one of our previous reviews but just the idea of what we also got as a personal experience of like watching this movie inside of a theater that was like kind of like a boutique movie theater as well right like we got to experience it in in a way that felt very true to the story and uh kind of what i was kind of alluding to before it's just when we talk about oscar worthy performances uh obviously i'm going to mention olivia coleman as hillary in this movie but watching her kind of incorporate the idea of aging as a parallel between the theater and herself especially the scene where she's kind of walking around and showing uh steven the, the younger michael ward character uh, showing him the old theater and then she says it used to be beautiful you know it, you should have seen it back in the day it was right. beautiful and then he says it still is and it's like this feeling of like she felt useless and she has like this sense of like like, like again like time has passed her by as well and the same thing with movie theaters right and that's what i kind of got with like this this movie felt like it was just encapsulating like a like a transition mm. in like the world almost and it's like for her to feel so useless and feel like she's aging and feel like everything has kind of passed her by it's just kind of sad to see that that's where like her mental state is because that kind of alludes to like you know when she has like her her mental health breakdowns and her struggles with mental health as well and it's all kind of like this really beautiful story of like just kind of finding that there is still use despite of like how you might feel and how like the thing that you might have concocted in your head Mm. that like like for this poor lady to feel like oh she just has nothing else to offer because time has passed her by i mean that concept time passing you by is something that everybody has to deal with yeah and it doesn't matter how old you are like you know there might be someone you know in our age bracket right now that may think oh what is tiktok or what is social media or i don't want to deal with that or i don't want to like transition over into using this new 
you know, high tech, you know, device. Like yeah. my mum just figured out how to use um, a smartphone or WhatsApp over the last couple of years. And that yeah. would have been a very daunting thing, but she's kind of like slowly kind of got her around the idea. But there might be someone out there in a similar age that might be like, this is too daunting for me. Yeah. And it starts to freak them out and they start to get anxiety because of it. Because mm-hmm. they feel like they're the fossil and they're being left behind and society's moving forward. So we're all going to deal with it at some point. It's going to, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. It's just how we are able to deal with it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a big thing right it's like kind of like realizing that oh i have something new to offer now i think that's what she had to go through as well she had to realize that she had something more to offer than what she was told or made to believe because Mm. she has these weird relationships and so much of this movie especially with like the colin firth character but it's the michael ward character steven who kind of brings her back into understanding of what she has to offer in terms of value and uh there's also like this really interesting because the one criticism I have of this movie is just there's so much going on. Right. There's issues of mental health. There's mm-hmm. issues of like uh, racism, loving cinema, a love story, and, age, like, age. There's just so many different things happening, yeah. and it's just like okay, I don't know what to focus on as much. That, that's my biggest problem with the movie. It's just mm-hmm. it feels a little bit bloated. Right. But if we were to focus on each individual issue, they're presented so beautifully. But in my head, it's almost like. I wish I got more time with each individual issue to kind of uh, sit with it better. Mm. Does that make any sense? It does make sense, yeah. Because, and I think I, I think I kind of agree with that, to be, to be honest with you. Yeah, because like even when I'm talking about this, like the like you're watching this movie, and you're talking about the theater and all this kind of stuff, and you see like this love story kind of blooming. It's kind of uh, interesting because obviously it is like a big age disparity between them. But then once the issue of race kind of presents itself, showing that these issues kind of still persist, that's an interesting way to present it mm. and uh i i do like the idea of uh how they kind of show like this older lady who's like you know she kind of has her head in the sand and doesn't realize that the, like racism is mm-hmm. still like a factor yeah which sounds ridiculous to say but at the same time it's like you know how many people do you, we know in real life that kind of keep their head in the sand anyways right yeah. and she's basically telling like a generation of people to recognize their accountability and staying informed and being a part of the conversation despite uh, feeling like they're older and not having to deal with current issues and stuff like that. It's like, yo, dog, like this stuff's happening. Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes back to Sam Mendes and when he wrote this movie, that what was going on in the world. It was the you know pandemic, mm-hmm. the shutdown of the cinema, um, you know, scene. So not being able to go to a movie theater, and the other big thing that happened you know was the black lives matter movement yep and he was able to kind of and also if you want to throw in a third there people being isolated and dealing with mental health mm-hmm. right so we kind of took everything that was kind of like going on during the pandemic and kind of weaved it into this script and this yeah. movie but to your point that's where perhaps it gets a little bit convoluted because maybe he is trying to like throw in so many things it's a lot you know yeah. what i mean that's my biggest thing it's like all, all of these things are like obviously very important but at the same time it's like okay cool well now I'm going through this whole journey and then all of a sudden it's a twist and then you got to go back to this thing and then it's a new twist. And it's like, mm. I, I keep going to all these different like massive issues. I'm not sure if you're ever given enough time to settle with any really, any one of them enough to where it feels like it's satisfying. Yeah. But at the same time, like it's interesting that Sam Bendis really is trying to do that much within like the short amount of time that he has. And I think even though there's a lot going on, the the one constant that helps you kind of like get through this movie is Olivia Coleman's performance. Yeah. Because it is so strong yeah. that you, if it was anybody else, you may be like, oh, you know, I don't know about this situation and this scene. Can we kind of move it on uh, along a little bit? But, but her on-screen presence 
And her performance as Hillary is so fantastic that it just grips you every time she's on on screen. It's like you are focused on her and yeah. what her character is going through. And that is so strong and so profound that you can almost dismiss how convoluted the, the subject matter is of the situation. It's interesting because it's uh, like when I think about Sam Mendes, now I think about 1917, right? And I think about how like we kind of view that movie through the perspective of one person mm-hmm. entirely as one person and such a unique way to present it as well. But when we look at something like this, it's kind of similar in the way that we're watching this story unfold through her eyes. But at the same time, it's like with nineteen seventeen, you're dealing with like one specific issue, and like the tension is always there, and you're dealing with one thing. Mm-hmm. But with this movie, you're you're kind of being taken all these different places, not like literally, but like all these different places, like mentally. All right, and just not. I I felt like the my only problem with it is that I just didn't know where to settle. Mm-hmm. Right, and um, criticism aside, I think Sam Mendes is just like it's funny because if I take that part like the story part away i feel like he did put on like a bit of a master class in telling like the world how much movies meant to him how like deeply personal this was like even just like the cinematography like you mentioned before the shot mm-hmm. with the fireworks the old theater all that kind of stuff also i feel like it's sam mendez going a bit more back to his roots like 1917 was such a you know a massive world war epic it was an expensive movie to make you can mm-hmm. just see that right with what was going on the, the two James Bond movies he made, big budgets. This is almost like a stripped down, it's more of a, a personal project for him. And then when I look at his resume, I'm just like, 1917, American Beauty, Skyfall, Empire of Light, Revolutionary Road, Spectre, Jarhead, Road to Perdition. The guy doesn't really miss. Yeah. Like you can, you can say that, you know, there's a couple of five-star bangers in there. Mm-hmm. Nothing's probably, you know, a mid movie. Yeah. It's still like a, a, a good, enjoyable, you know, journey to watch a Sam Mendes movie. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so far he's kept his bar high. You know, he hasn't dipped, um, in, in a career that's now what, 25 plus years, which yeah. is incredible. Yeah. And it's kind of crazy because, uh, I was just checking the reviews for this really quickly before we got on here. Uh huh. Right now on Rotten Tomatoes is 43%. And that kind of crazy? But I feel like that's like kind of uh, consistent with a lot of these Best Picture kind of nominations because they're so polarizing sometimes. And also we have to bear in mind that this only got, I think, the the TIFF experience and I believe one other major film festival. So it A, hasn't got wide release and B, the, the kind of like, I guess, the top critics, quote yeah. unquote, haven't had a chance to weigh in. Yeah, and yeah, I think yeah. when they do, it's going to start to balance the books a little I'm bit. I'm very there. curious to see where it kind of ends up mm-hmm. because it, it feels like it's... Uh, I can't imagine giving this an actual negative review. No, for sure. You know what I mean? Like, it, I might have, like, nitpicky things that I feel about and it, I, think I would never give it a negative And I feel review. like your criticism, and which I agree with, is, that, is, is very fair. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that it was a, you know, that's going to be a detriment to your, you know, experience watching it. It's still going to... I feel like most people, even with that mindset of, yeah. like, oh, it's a bit here, a bit there, whatever, it's still going to be like, I really enjoyed that. Like, I can't, I can't really see a situation where someone's like, you know what, that was a boring two hours. Exactly. You know what's funny? Sometimes I feel like... I'm being like manipulated by like the score and the cinematography, but mm-hmm. then it, those could be argued as just being as just as important as like story and performance. Mm-hmm. So I don't see why a movie shouldn't get praised solely on those categories, right? Like I feel like uh, when and those two are like the shining stars of this movie on, on top of Olivia Coleman's performance. But if you were to if you told me a movie has that high quality performance and an incredible score, yeah, and incredible cinematography. 
I have a hard time just being a dick about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's a really good movie. And I think we were lucky as well, kind of more to your point, is like watching this movie in a traditional, you know, stage theater yeah. that's been kind of converted into a cinema uh beautiful yeah uh, with the with with the right crowd the right people yes. everyone's there that loves cinema this movie is about loving a cinema yeah. so it was just perfect for it's us. perfect yeah my dad used to take me fishing when i was little we never caught any fish and for years i just thought he was a bad fisherman and then i realized it was something else something quite simple he didn't know where the fish were. And he was too ashamed to ask. He was just ashamed. Shame is not a healthy condition. I want to get into our categories. Um, Jump with that. I mean, I feel like this is the easiest one, but what about best character? Who you got? Yeah, it's, a, it's easy. It's um, Olivia Coleman as Hillary. And I do feel like Olivia Coleman over the last few years has been on an incredible, incredible run. The Lost Daughter nominated. Uh, Joyride, fantastic performance in that. She played the queen in seasons three and four of The Crown. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, she's putting on another belter of a performance, yeah. which I feel at the very least, at the very least, should garner her uh, an, a nomination for best actress when it comes to the the oscars um just again blown away and it's and it's great to see you know i I feel like this is something that's been a common thing um for women um you know acting they don't get meaty roles at a certain age and it's a Mm. a constant thing that women have have spoken about uh, which is which is absolutely fair yeah and so when olivia coleman gets a script like this from uh, an incredible director like sam mendes she just must be like wow like i actually (laughs) i'm able to kind of like do a project like this and play a character like this and yeah it's just if nothing else just go watch it for her performance i completely agree with that um i'm very curious so what is the best scene for you okay um because this one's tougher. Yeah, it is tougher. I've kind of gone with when when Hillary is having her her serious episode of mental health and locks herself in her flat, and things slowly begin to kind of spiral out of control. And I just personally thought it was Coleman's most powerful contribution to the character because there's a lot going on there, man. Mm. I, for me, I'm going with the scene I kind of referenced earlier. Is just where she's showing him the old theater, mm. the the part that's like locked away and not seen anymore, yeah. and and he just kind of reminds her of the beauty that she still has just needs to be like you know just uh it just kind of reminds her of like what value she still has to offer mm-hmm. um what about star rating five being the best zero being the worst where does this movie end up i gave it a 4.5 and i feel like for me personally and again i don't know if it was the setting or you know in terms of the the, the theater that we actually watched the movie in mm-hmm. or the actual setting the uk in the 80s um, but everything from Olivia Coleman's performance. Special shout out to Michael Ward as Stephen. I was only ever familiar with Michael Ward um, in his role in Top Boy. Mm-hmm. And for him to jump from Top Boy to a movie by Sam Mendes opposite Olivia Coleman, I thought he held his own so well. Um, and like, yeah, like I said, I feel like this is one of my favorite movies that I've watched this year. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm going with 4.25. I feel like we're always in line with these ones. And, yeah. And like we kind of knew for this is like, you know, it's such a strong showing of love, love story, mm. uh, like an, an interesting nuanced discussion of race, an interesting discussion of age, 
and more than that for me is uh just a love of cinema yeah right and and for me like I, again I, I mentioned that it's a little bit beautiful like a little bit uh, bloated but it's a beautiful film and i don't think it's gonna be for everyone i really don't but i think the people that are gonna really like like it are gonna love it because it's such a strong showing for sam mendes and it is the kind of movie that you expect to come out at this time of year yeah exactly it's like we're almost approaching award season the deadline is coming where these caliber of movies need to be released in the final few weeks of the year to kind of kind of make it to those kind of like critical deadlines yeah which is why you always get an abundance of top tier movies and this is right up there exactly exactly that's 100 percent correct but yeah that's everything for empire of light let's Let's get into Let's Get Wrecked, our weekly recommendation segment. Uh, Jonathan, can you hit me with Sandu's pick? I can. So obviously, World Cup fever. I've just been enjoying the hell out of the World Cup. It comes around every four years. I've already kind of given you one uh, soccer-related recommendation, FIFA Uncovered. I'm going to give you a second one. Welcome to Wrexham. Rob McKelleny and Ryan Reynolds. Yes, the same Ryan Reynolds that plays Deadpool. They bought the third oldest professional football club in the world, Wrexham. And then they decided to create a docu-series following the highs and lows of their endeavour. It's it's brilliant because you've got two American, well, you know, Ryan Reynolds is Canadian, but you've got two guys from North America, two Hollywood guys from the film and TV world who have just kind of pulled their resources together and decided, you know what, we're going to buy this kind of really old soccer club in the UK and we're going to help them out of financial turmoil. We're going to help, you know, establish them and get things going and try and like, you know, be a sports invest, sports owner, a sports club owner. And it's, and this, um, I think, 18 episode docuseries, it's, it's an easy watch, by the way. They're like 20, 30 minute episodes each. It's authentic. It's heartwarming. It's full of banter. It's funny. It's got Ryan Reynolds in it. And if you're not even into soccer, this may kind of bring you in. But even if it doesn't, just following along their journey, you know, being these two LA Hollywood guys dealing with this kind of like Welsh small club in the UK, it's just, it, it's perfectly like scripted, but it's real real life, if yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Like yeah, if, yeah. You, if you had to script it, this could be like a, a great sitcom. And I can't recommend it enough. It's fantastic. Is that Rob McElhenney from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? Yes. Oh, that's awesome. That's actually great. They're so hilarious. And the, you know, the cool thing about this is, and it's kind of, uh, it's not too much of a spoiler, but they reveal that they hadn't even met each other before they uh, decided to buy the club. <laughs> Rob just reaches out to run on social media, DMs, say, oh, hey, so funny. Um, are you interested in like, you know, teaming up with me and like buying this soccer club in the UK because yeah, yeah. uh, this all happens during COVID right <laughs> and so they're having all these Zoom meetings having never personally physically met in person and then they kind of meet and honestly it's fantastic it's really really great that sounds actually really good that, yeah. that is the first soccer thing I would probably watch <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for me I, I feel I mentioned it before I am going with 1917 uh, not another World War One movie this is such a unique experience I'd argue personally I think it's Sam Mendes's best movie uh I don't remember feeling so immersed in a movie like I did with this one. The way that it's shot is incredible. That is a feat within itself. And uh, it's incredibly tense and such a personal experience that you're going through with this character. Uh, It's obviously got a ton of praise of when it came out. But if you haven't seen it, go out of your way to watch it. Uh, 1917. But that's everything for this week. John, where can everybody find us? We are at Screen Off Script on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. We're available on Spotify and Apple. And hey, listen, if you've got 20, 30 seconds, do us a favor, rate and review us. It honestly goes a long way on helping our show get found by new audiences. Awesome. Thank you for checking us out this week, guys. Take care.